Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Nonprofit U, a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm a consultant to nonprofits, and I specialize in community and organizational development. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. And you can find Nonprofit U on Facebook and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often using the hashtags Nonprofit U, Peter Garrity, and Who Among Giants. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofit underscore U. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions right now. In order to use the chat room, you must open a listener-only account. You'll find a link to open the account on the page for this episode. In fact, it's right up underneath the chat box. You can also email me questions at consulting at ValerieFLeonard.com. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. And obviously, if you're participating in the chat room, you don't need to wait 30 minutes to post, you can start posting your questions now. In fact, we encourage you to um, sign on, give us your name, where you're from, and what brings you here. That would be wonderful. Our call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. Today's topic is the intersection of nonprofits social enterprise, and the Cook County Treasurer's Office. We have a lot to talk about today. In fact, when Peter was here before, we just couldn't stop talking. (laughs) And we promised not to do that again, but we had a really, really interesting conversation. Uh, We want to follow up and really talk about how Cook County's investment policies can impact nonprofits. And we'll share with you Peter's wonderful experience in economic development and social enterprises as well as his run for Cook County Treasurer. And then we will end up with a discussion about his new book, Who Among Giants? Again, we encourage you to call in with questions at about the 30-minute mark. You can start posting in the chat room and emailing questions now. Again, my email address is consulting at valleyofleonard.com. If you want to participate in the live chat, you must open an account, and a link is found on the episode page again, right up under the chat box. And again, our call-in number is 347-884-8121, nonprofit and community development professionals, as well as policymakers are especially encouraged to call in, share your stories and strategies. If you are a resident of Cook County and you have concerns as well, please feel free to call in and share what your issues could be. So today's guest is Peter Garrity. He is a principal with Laura Certified Public Accountants, and he's a candidate for Cook County Treasurer. Laura is the first CTA firm in the Midwest to become a certified benefit corporation, meaning that the firm seeks to generate a positive social and environmental impact through serving their clients. Peter volunteers as the treasurer of the Westtown Special Service Area, or SSA, and he has in the past served on the auxiliary board of Christ the King Jesuit 
college prep school, high school, in Chicago's Austin neighborhood. So we've got something um, for everybody here today, you know, folks who are in nonprofit, folks who are in social enterprise, folks who live in Cook County, and, you know, just be patient. We will get around to you. We want to talk about Peter's experience first, and then we will get around to some of the issues on social enterprise and nonprofit and investment policy, how it impacts community development. So without further ado, Peter, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's an honor and a privilege to have you on the show as always, and and I thank you for coming on again. So you're a principal with WARA Certified Public Accountants, which is the first CPA firm in the Midwest to become a certified benefit corporation. And as such, the firm seeks to generate a positive social and environmental impact through serving your clients. And I think this is very, very important um, information for people to know, um, especially given you know, your future aspirations. Uh, so what is a certified benefit corporation? Yes. So, well, first off, thank you so much for having me back on. Uh, I, I really do appreciate the opportunity. <clears throat> and uh, so a certified benefit corporation is a for-profit entity that has met uh, – the thresholds or milestones set forth by a third party uh, organization known as BLAB or Benefit Laboratory. And where this came from uh, was a number of years ago, there was uh, an athletic wear brand called And One. And the owners, mm-hmm. the, the original founders of the company, they operated it in a way that they felt was was true to their values, uh, paying their employees a living wage, how they were treated, uh, how they made their products, and and basically just how they ran their business. And they then sold it. And as soon as it was sold, uh, all of those values that they put in place uh, that that cost a little bit extra, but to them were were well worth it. Uh, were scrapped mm-hmm. by the new owners. And so they said, we want to make sure this never happens again to us or to anyone else. And they, they set up uh, a, a, the benefit corporation structure. Um, now, it is not a different legal entity, but what it really does is it amends the articles of operation um, or the articles of incorporation by including these uh, these these standards within. So in the event of a change of ownership, uh, anyone who is buying into this company, uh, whether it's as, uh, as, as, a, as a shareholder or you're going to come in as a partner, you know that they mm-hmm. do spend uh, some of the company's money on behaving in a way that is more environmentally or socially responsible. Um, but it helps memorialize and preserve those values uh, even once ownership changes hands. So uh, mm-hmm. that's what we decided to do. And obviously, being an accounting firm, we don't make anything. We provide a service. So for service providers like us, uh, you know, there are different thresholds you have to meet in how you procure um, any materials for the office, uh, in, the, uh, in what is considered a living wage, to pay that to your employees, um, 
any service opportunities that align with, uh, with, with, with your firm's uh, field of expertise. So it, uh, but, but the really neat thing is, is it gives you a totally different lens through which to, to judge and evaluate your business and the direction you're going. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, I've, I've been really pleased with the experience and it's, and I, I would recommend it to anyone that you could, you know, you could run a dry cleaners, a grocery store, an accounting firm, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely anything. And, and you can adopt these, these standards and values uh, that will not only strengthen your customer's experience, but your employees as well. Okay, great. And, and I'm not going to belabor the point, I promise you, but the beauty of that, from what I understand, this, this certification, you don't necessarily need to restructure your company in such a way that you are, what is it, an L3C or LC3? I always get it confused. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't have yeah, to do yeah, any restructuring. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so an L3C um, is low profit, limited liability company. Uh, that is a that is a legal entity, um, which I know exists within the state of Illinois. Uh, so, our our accounting firm, for example, we are uh, we're an LLC, a limited liability company, and we simply then went through and adopted. Um, uh, we, we adopted the standards that are required uh, to become a certified benefit corporation, uh, but we, we did not pursue uh, altering our legal structure to be that of, uh, of an L3C. Okay, great, great. And one thing that intrigued me about you is you're currently the treasurer of the Westtown Special Service Area, or SSA. Um, can you define what an SSA is first and foremost? Sure. So an SSA is a taxpayer-funded organization, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. uh, that, is, uh, that is led by volunteer commissioners who are typically uh, business owners and residents within, uh, with, within the boundaries of the SSA. And mm-hmm. they, they most often tend to be housed within local chambers of commerce. And the idea is that they receive uh, taxpayer dollars to try and enhance local commercial corridors. Um, so the, the kind of the main drag through the Westtown SSA is Chicago Avenue. And if you drive down Chicago Avenue or up Ashland Avenue uh, between uh, – between Milwaukee Avenue and Chicago Avenue, you'll notice that there are two different types of trash cans. There are the, the gray and black ones that are handled by the city of Chicago Street Sanitation, and then there are the orange ones, which are handled by the SSA. So the SSA felt, and this was before I joined, um, that there were not enough trash cans, and that was contributing to, uh, you know, to, to more litter on the street. So those are things the SSA can do. What is really important, I think, where this starts to venture into into the treasurer's office and others is, don't get me wrong, I, you know, the SSA operates um, with the best of intentions, and I'm confident that other SSAs do as well, but is, you know, we also, we, you know, the SSA puts up holiday decorations, the big snowflakes that you see hanging from streetlights 
when you drive around. And given all of the city of Chicago's and Cook County's uh, pressing financial needs, whether it's with public safety, public health, public education, uh, is the highest and best use of those taxpayer dollars uh, continuing to fund these local efforts uh, to make commercial corridors more appealing, uh, whether it's by you know, uh, pulling weeds in the summer or plowing snow off the sidewalks in the winter or holiday decorations uh, or more trash cans. So, uh, mm-hmm. the, yeah, and so that, that's the funny thing is I think most people look and they might say, oh, okay, you know, this is, this is funded locally. Yes, it's funded with local taxpayer dollars. And is this where those taxpayer dollars really should be going? Um, If we were in a time of of budget excess, sure. But unfortunately, that's Mm -hmm. not where we find ourselves. Um, So I think it opens up a much larger conversation um, about not only the appropriateness of of SSAs, uh, but also some of these other um, uh, some of these other taxpayer-funded avenues that don't have as much uh, sunlight shown on them uh, that could help fund uh, some other efforts that might uh, mm-hmm. that that might support. Um, I don't want to use the word more worthy, but more more pressing causes within the city and the county. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got you. So there needs to be, I guess, a method of prioritizing. It sounds to me like you would like the priorities to be more transparent as well. I, I think we need to make it easier for people to, because you should not need a background in tax or law or municipal finance uh, in order to see exactly where your taxpayer dollars are going. And mm-hmm. right now, most people who live in SSAs don't know that they live in SSAs or that their tax dollars are going to that. Um, and and it, it, it kind of gets into the whole topic of tax increment financing. So countywide, mm-hmm. as, recently as, uh, as recently as 2016, Cook County, through tax increment financing districts, and uh, just in case anyone's unfamiliar, what those are is um, – an initial term of 23 years is given and a set of boundaries is drawn around an area and all of the growth in, in property taxes uh, then goes to, that, goes to that fund. So if the year before the fund or the tax increment financing district was created, uh, you know, your, your property taxes were $5,000 and then the next year they're $6,000 that difference, that $1,000, is not going to go into your general services. It's going to go off into the taxpayer or in, into the tax increment financing district. And mm-hmm. those, the initial term of those is 23 years, and they can be uh, easily extended for another 12. So at 35 years of collecting all of the growth uh, in the property's value, those things can can really really build up. And in 2016, countywide, they took in 852 million, 561 million of which came from the city of Chicago. Which means that if you do not live in, for all of those properties that do not live in a in, in a tax increment financing district or a TIF district, they then had to make up the difference 
of those amounts within the city of $561 million. And so everyone's taxes, those people who didn't live in a TIF district, and there's 145 of them within Chicago, and I believe 455 countywide, uh, that drives up your taxes. Because through no fault of those people who live in TIF districts, all of the extra money that they're paying does not go into education, does not go into uh, public safety. It goes into the TIF, and it does so for either 23 or 35 years. So everyone else's taxes have to go up to cover those properties within TIF districts. Um, And so that's the thing. We need to have these conversations because we're not in a time of budgetary excess. And that's where I think we would all agree uh, TIFs exist to fight blight and that there are not 145 blighted areas throughout the city of Chicago and there are not 455 blighted areas throughout Cook County. So how then can we make it easier than ever for people to advocate on their own behalf to their elected officials with where their money is going and how it aligns with their priorities? And uh, this is the office, the Cook County Treasurer's Office, is uniquely and optimally positioned to do that. And uh, it has, unfortunately, it has never, uh, it has never seen itself in that light. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got you. Um, Thanks for that. And before we go on, I just want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit You. We're speaking with Peter Garropy. He is principal with Laura Certified Public Accountants, and he's also a candidate for Cook County Treasurer. We'll be taking questions from our listening audience in chat room at about the 30-minute mark. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. And before we go back into the conversation, I just want to give a shameless plug for a new community that I will be starting in July. It's an online community. It's Nonprofit Utopia, and it will be a community for emerging nonprofit leaders, and we've created a safe environment in which our members can innovate, speak candidly about the issues and concerns that they face on a daily basis, and share ideas and resources. So I will keep you guys posted as to how that launch is coming. And um, without further ado, I I just want to get back to the conversation that we have with Peter. So, in Cook County, the assessor is responsible for administering programs that reduce the tax burden as an incentive for companies that create jobs in communities where, but for the incentives such as TIFs and the 7A program and the 6B program and a bunch of alphabet soup, right? So mm-hmm. in many, if not, <laughs> right, right. So, so we may as well call them the, the, the soup incentives. So in many of these communities, if not all of them, you know, these programs don't always have the intended consequences of creating jobs for the residents of the communities while reducing tax revenues for the county and local government. And, you know, I won't go into a bunch of detail, but, you know, there have been instances where um, under the 6B program, and I believe 7A as well, 
where the trigger for the tax incentive is actually not the job creation, but making sure that whatever the project is is 50% occupied, and that doesn't always translate into a critical mass of jobs. So, you know, realizing that that's not necessarily under the treasurer's purview and the Cook County assessor actually kind of controls those programs, you know, what are some of the ways that the treasurer's office can work with the assessor's office to strengthen the programs to make sure that there's actually a a benefit to the local residents? Sure. Well, you you bring up a really good point with those programs because, um, you know, the the average person who works full-time or who's caring for their family members, they they don't have the time to dig in and, and see where these programs are, so or what these programs are supposed to be doing. And the real opportunity within the treasurer's office is to shine a light on that. I, I think it's short-sighted mm-hmm. and really unfortunate to just sort of say, okay, well, the treasurer's job is just to send out the property tax bills and collect the money. We don't need an elected leader to do that. We could just hire someone to mm-hmm. do that. In fact, it sounds a lot like what the post office does. They get stuff, <laughs> they send it out. And, and then people send them stuff, and then they, they, they send it out again. Um, and that's really unfortunate because there's such an opportunity here to, to enhance uh, the awareness for people who, like I said, do not need a background in tax or law or any of this to see where your money is going and if it's generating value for you. So you make a really good point. With some of these programs, the objective, and these are taxpayer-funded programs, because just like with TIFs, um, it's not like, okay, we're going to give a, you know, a, a, a tax break that, that amounts to $50,000, to this company, and therefore the city of Chicago or Cook County is going to spend $50,000 less than it normally would have. Absolutely not. We still need that $50,000 to come from somewhere, and it's going to come from the taxpayers. So all of these tax breaks, uh, they, they have to get paid for somehow, and they get paid for by the rest of us taxpayers. And so... Mm-hmm. If we are going to continue to pay for these, uh, we should be able to see, well, what are we getting for them? How many jobs did this generate? I just don't want to see, okay, uh, you know, the building's 50% occupied um, because is, is it, I mean, did they just simply uh, renovate this building and then shift people from elsewhere and so there was really no net benefit? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, if, if taxpayers are going to fund fund these things, that's fine. But I want to be able to see the impact that I'm getting for my money, uh, and everyone else deserves that too. So it's not that these funds are evil and taxes are not evil, um, but waste, corruption, and vague information is, and that's really the opportunity of this office is is to start to shine a light on programs and initiatives that for too long have flown under the radar but been funded by taxpayers. Okay, great. So many of the people in this audience, you know, it is nonprofit you, you know, many of them are 
nonprofit professionals, and, you know, clearly as nonprofit professionals, they may not necessarily be thinking about the Cook County Treasurer's Office within the purview of the work that they do on a day-to-day basis. Why should nonprofits care about this particular office, the Treasurer's Office? Sure. So one of the big things, uh, and I, I can't take credit for this idea. This was uh, an idea that I uh, saw from City Treasurer Kurt Summers was to start investing uh, the county's money and every single dollar that comes through that office, whether it's a dollar that is generated by the operations of the treasurer's office um, or it is money that is paid by the taxpayers and held by the treasurer's office before it then goes off uh, to the respective taxing district, uh, that money has the opportunity to do far more good by, by being deposited in one of our local um, in one of our local financial institutions that is already serving an area of the city where it might typically be harder to attract private capital for aspiring homeowners and growing small businesses. Um, Right Mm -hmm. now, if you get a refund check from the Cook County Treasurer's Office, it comes from Bank of America. And a majority of the work they do is also with Chase Bank. And that's really a missed opportunity because those banks are not set up to, to provide the same type of services um, that, say, a bank like ISF, Illinois Service Federal. And that one comes to mind because it's the last African-American-owned bank in the city of Chicago, and that was the one that city treasurer Kurt Summers put $20 million uh, taxpayer dollars into. Now, it's a federally insured institution, uh, those taxpayer dollars are never at risk of, of being lost. This is not some wild investment. It's a secure deposit. Uh, so mm-hmm. steps like that with financial institutions uh, that are also, uh, many of which are already working with local nonprofits and advocacy groups, we should be taking steps to support them and using taxpayer resources to generate additional good uh, while never exposing taxpayer dollars to additional risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty interesting. You know, one of the wishes that I do have, you know, for Treasurer Summers, you know, I, I wish that there were there was rep, representation from the communities. You know, obviously you need sophisticated investment professionals who are going to be on the board um, helping to make those investment decisions. But I still think that there is room to include local voices, you know, from people who have their their fingers on the pulse of, of the work that's being done. I, I think that there should be, you know, room for for those voices on those investment boards. If not, you know, on the board itself than in some sort of advisory capacity. And I think that nonprofits really should be organizing themselves to influence that policy to to make sure that there is investment, you know, not only in the banks that serve the community, as you have mentioned in the past, but, you know, um, perhaps some direct investment in some of 
some of the businesses perhaps take an equity position. And I know that there's all kinds of risk involved, but, you know, I'm sure with your accounting background, you know how to um, put systems in place to assess credit so that it's not, you know, money that is, you know, going into an extremely risky investment. Well, and you bring up a really good point that this is, you know, this this is something new. This is something that's developing. And that's where I really want to emphasize, I think we in, in the Chicago area, in Cook County, particularly progressives and Democrats, this is what it's all about. Uh, you know, Cook mm-hmm. County is, is the cradle. It is the core of our nation's Democratic Party. And the only way that we, uh, that we maintain and we, we grow that reputation is by doing progressive things, by taking steps like this, because then we will show other communities that, oh, this does work. This is not just some stunt. Uh, you know, they, they protected taxpayer dollars. They generated a benefit for those communities that are, are as much a valuable part of this county and this city as any other. And they, they made sure that they were not forgotten. And those mm-hmm. are things that we can be doing to demonstrate the real power and value of government. Because if we are not going to make sure um, that our neighbors and our friends who just happen to be in different neighborhoods that, uh, that often don't have the same resources, that they are not forgotten, well, then what is the point? What, what is the point of, of being in the vanguard um, of democratic leadership in this country if we are not going to be at the forefront of demonstrating how progressive values should be implemented right. Uh, not only at the city level and the county level, but also at the state level. So if we're not going to do bold and forward-thinking things, well, then then, then we're only going to be, you know, the, the, the leaders of the Democratic Party in name only. So that's mm-hmm. where there's, there's, there's always uh, – there, there's this wonderful opportunity. And the last thing I want to do, particularly um, – as, as, as a Democrat who lives here, uh, is, is to abdicate that opportunity and that responsibility to be creative and forward-thinking in how we implement progressive values um, within every layer of government. Uh, and so given my, my background, this is where I've seen um, a lot of opportunities and that this office is the most direct line uh, to doing some very exciting things, but we we have to change because otherwise we're, we're just going to get bypassed. There are other places uh, such as the city of Minneapolis, uh, San Jose, where they've been very, very thoughtful um, in, in participatory budgeting and TIF disclosures and things like that. Uh, so if, if we really want to be the core and the cradle of the American Democratic Party, it's steps like this, and it's and we're overdue to start taking them on a more regular basis. Mm-hmm. Okay, which brings me to another question: What would you say to folks who say, "Well, you know what? That's not really 
the job of the treasurer. You know, the, the ideas you're talking about, they're wonderful. They sound like pie in the sky. We should be doing those things. But is it really the treasurer's job to, to do things that you're saying that we should be doing? Sure. And I would say it's, yes, it is the treasurer's job, but not only the, the treasurer's job, it's the job of every other elected official to be creative. Mm-hmm. If, we're gonna, if we are going to ask uh, voters to take the time to, to research uh, the, the candidates who are on the ballot and to make the best choice that aligns with their beliefs, well, then there, there should be more to it than, than simply behaving mm-hmm. like someone who could have been hired for a job. You know, if, if you, you know, if, if you're hired, uh, if you're hired to work in a restaurant as the cook, well, it doesn't matter what else you can cook. They give you the menu and they say, this is what we serve here. It's great if you can make, you know, cuisines from all different types of, of backgrounds, but that's not what you're here to do. You are hired to do just this. And if we're going to say, well, you know, this is just the job description of the treasurer. Uh, you send out the bills, you collect the money, you distribute the money out, you conduct the annual property tax sale, and then you go home and stay in your lane. If that's what we want them to do, then there's no reason to, to elect a Democrat to that office or a Republican because it doesn't matter. Because mm-hmm. if they are just going to stay in their lane um, and do nothing to, uh, to, to advance the ideals uh, of the party under which they were elected, well, then just get rid of the job as an elected position and hire someone to do it and treat them exactly like, you know, like, like the chef at that restaurant whose job is to do nothing more than to cook what's on the menu. And then we would expect mm-hmm. that and nothing else. But, you know, when you go and you, and, and you find someone, uh, and this is not just for the treasurer's office, but for, um, You know, even for something like governor or or the presidency, that's what made President Obama so wonderful is he not only executed the core functions of the office, he was able to implement and demonstrate democratic values for the entire country while at the same time uh, executing those, those core functions of the office to which he was elected. And that's the mm-hmm. whole idea. If we just want someone to, to do the job and, and keep their mouth shut, well, then great. Don't, don't, don't elect someone. Because if you are going to elect someone, it's for, uh, it's for their discretion. It's for their, their innovation. Um, it's not just to do the job and nothing more. And I think that's where we've missed the opportunity with the Cook County Treasurer's Office for, uh, for decades now. Okay, great. Okay, I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit U, and we're speaking with Peter Garrafee. He's principal with Bora, certified public accountant, and he's also a candidate for Cook County Treasurer. We will now take questions from our listening audience and chat room. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is... Three four seven eight eight four eight one two one, and while we're waiting for callers, I, I guess we can you know move on to the next question. 
And um, when we spoke before, you know, we talked about how the Treasurer's Office sets investment policy for revenues collected through taxes and other strategies. So what are some of the ways the Treasurer's Office can use that same investment policy to jumpstart economic development in historically marginalized communities? And I think we already touched on that, but, you know, if you had anything to add to that particular discussion, you know, that would be great. Sure. I I think the biggest thing that the Treasurer's Office can and should be doing um, is with more 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 strategically focused uh, investment or deposits, but in some ways these deposits are investments because uh, mm-hmm. because they help ensure the the survival um, of these of these smaller yet yet still crucial uh, financial institutions uh, that are better positioned to serve parts of the county. Um, that have been overlooked by larger uh, by larger banks and lenders. So that's that's one of the really big things this office can and should be doing with regard to investment policy. Um, that is a different question and one because once you get into that, uh, the minimum time for those investments comes in. Um, you know, if if we are making long term investments on behalf of the taxpayers of Cook County. Uh, and yet the county needs that money for what you could say is a higher and better purpose for public safety or public, uh, we would need to be able to liquidate those investments and possibly at a penalty. Mm -hmm. So um, wanting to make sure that that money is always available to be used for what what it is there for, uh, while it's not simply generating the ancillary benefits that could come from more strategic uh, deposits, um, it would that that would be a very thoughtful conversation um, mm-hmm. about uh, about the freedom that we would have to make those investments while making sure mm-hmm. that we're always responsive to the needs of the county. Okay, so so basically, we're looking at um, a whole range of investments. We're looking at short-term investments, you know, where you would manage your cash, and then some of the long-term investments. You know that might be leveraged against some of the long-term, I guess, capital needs of of the county. Is, is that what I'm hearing? And that yeah, yeah, a much more yeah, thoughtful. Yeah, so whenever yeah, so whenever you get into long-term investments, that's that's a different conversation and one in which mm-hmm. the Cook County uh, the Cook County Board of Commissioners should be included uh, because every single dollar that comes through that office it does not belong to the Cook County Treasurer. It belongs to Cook County. Okay. And, the, and the Board of Commissioners, uh, they are there to represent, um, to represent the residents of the county and to make sure that the use of those dollars reflects, uh, reflects the will of the county and reflects those, those residents. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's where, if I felt that there was really a great opportunity um, for a long-term investment, it would, I, I would make sure that that was brought to them and they were well aware um, of any limits that would be placed in the liquidity, in the liquidity of those funds uh, before mm-hmm. any investment decisions are made. So, uh, 
so that you know we're not we're not sneaking around or just because I believe that we should invest money a particular way uh, that it would be done so it would be done so with the awareness and consent of the Cook County Board of Commissioners. Okay. Now, one thing that Treasurer Summers has done on the city level, and I think he's been pretty effective. It took him about two or three years, but he finally got her done. You know, he was able to create a program where there's a small pool of money that can be used for some equity investments in the community. And, of course, you know, every community business is not going to qualify for this kind of investment. But, you know, I do think that he did a pretty good job in starting that program. Would would you consider, you know, investing a small pool of funds into neighborhoods either through a loan pool or an equity pool or or even just using funds to, to back up some other institution that would be making the and, direct investment. Is that something? And in this case, you're referring to the uh, Fund 77? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I did. So, yeah, so with that, that's where um, rather than start our own fund, uh, which, which, uh, which the city of Chicago did under Treasurer Summers, uh, that's where I think we would be able to have um, a bigger impact making sure that, uh, and I know I keep, I probably sound like a broken record, um, but rather than get into fund management, I would probably focus more um, on where we are depositing our money so that we are supporting you. those institutions, uh, yeah, that that are best positioned to support um, Nonprofits and uh, and small businesses and aspiring homeowners in those parts of the city and county uh, mm-hmm. where it has been harder to attract um, the level of service and capital that has not always mm-hmm. been there for them. So okay, uh, yeah. So yeah, the, the the county treasurer and the city treasurer they they provide um, very different functions, and so I think in in some cases it's just uh, it's a matter of of what the offices exist to do. And so uh, Treasurer Summers uh, took advantage of an opportunity uh, that would be handled differently at the county level. Oh, okay. Yeah, thanks for clearing that up. Um, sure, absolutely. And then finally, let's, yeah, let's, let's talk about your book. You have just released the book. It's available at Amazon.com. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, and this is what, Who Among Giants? And it's based on your experiences running for public office. Um, Can you tell us what made you decide to write the book? Sure. So I think with, uh, I I love reading biographies, not only of politicians, but of other historical figures. And they're always written after the fact. Um, Mm -hmm. So that that's where I thought there was a really neat opportunity to to write a book when I still kind of had a foot in both worlds because I whether I win or lose my election, you know, will I then always be branded a politician because I ran? Um and then therefore mm-hmm. is my is my perspective somewhat polluted um by by the blinders that that politicians 
can somehow or, or, or can sometimes wear when they when they interact with the public or or it seems like they're not uh, um, like like they're looking or paying attention to things that, uh, that that are not aligned with what they should be doing or aligned with the best interest of their constituents. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to capture. Um, what it was like being a, being a first-time candidate, um, a husband and father. I'm 35 years old right now. Um, and what is it that drew me in to run? What did I feel uh, I, I couldn't change by simply um, voting a certain way or, or advocating for something? Uh, I felt that mm-hmm. it was necessary for me to, to enter the race. In order to in order to to move the needle on a number of things that I believe very strongly in, and so it then goes a little bit further uh, as sort of a call to not only the millennial generation but other generations who are both older and younger that it's time for our generation for the millennial generation to really start to to step up to arrive in these positions of leadership. Um, mm-hmm. because that's the only way that institutions um, like the Democratic Party of Cook County, the only way it's going to, to survive into the next generation is if it begins to embrace this generation. And mm-hmm. by embracing it, it doesn't mean you just set up you know, some chapters of the Young Democrats or you try to you know, get young people to volunteer – you need to get them on the ballot if you want to. And, then, and this is true for any for any demographic or any community. If you want to engage that community, you need to put people on the ballot who have something in common with that community. Um, you know, over the last sixty years, I would argue that the two most engaging Democrats are President John Kennedy and President Barack Obama. Both people, right, when, when both gentlemen were elected, um, they, when they were elected president, they would be younger than, uh, I believe, every other endorsed candidate by the Cook County Democratic Party um, for any executive level office in this race. Wow. For, for, sh- for sheriff, board president, assessor, clerk, or treasurer. Now, I am absolutely, I do not have uh, the talent or, or, or the political savviness of President Obama or President Kennedy, but I promise you that there are people within my generation who do, and there are people who live within Cook County in my generation who do. And that's where, at what point does the party and its leadership start to say, you know what, if if we believe in our party and in its values so much that we want it to carry into future generations. Um, it's then time to start embracing those future generations, mm-hmm. uh, not in a way that just says, okay, yep, you're great, but wait on the sidelines until we're ready. <laughs> no, it, it, it needs to be, we need to get you on the ballot. And I'm not just talking about myself because I truly believe that within my generation, there are some very, very, very special and talented people um, who can do wonderful things, not only for our city, our county, our country, uh, or the party. And 
the party needs to draw those people out to induce their participation um, in the form of being on the ballot, not, not simply mm-hmm. saying, you know, like I said, hey, wait your turn, and then when so-and-so <laughs> is ready to retire after 20 or 30 years, you know what, then, then we'll see what we can do. Um, because those people are talented enough that they will not wait their turn. And they will say, you know what, then I'm just going to go into the private sector and um, I will generate my impact there. And so if the Democratic Party uh, and the progressive movement wants to continue into the future, it's essential that we start to embrace the future and those younger generations. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that that has to start happening now because otherwise – there will be uh, the the air will be let out of the balloon very very slowly, but then it's going to be very hard to inflate it again um, once mm-hmm. there is that absence of uh, you know sort of qualified candidates on the bench, and we just can't keep telling people to wait their turn. So and like I said, this is not about me. This is about, there really is, and I've been fortunate enough to meet a, a, a number of these people uh, while, while campaigning across Cook County, and mm-hmm. they should be running. It's, it, it is, they, their service would be in the best interest, not only of the Democratic Party, but for the entire county um, and for the public. So that's where we need to start to move to. And I, I hope when my generation mm-hmm reaches that point, um, we, we start embracing those people who can, you know, who, who, who can and should start, uh, who can and should start leading the way. So this is not mm-hmm. simply um, a crack or a criticism on the baby boomers. This is something that I believe all generations need to do rather than just saying, mm-hmm. oh, hey, you know, like the young people, I hope they step up. They would be great one day. No, it's now, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and that embrace needs to be more pronounced, more aggressive, um, mm-hmm. and, and it needs to always happen. And uh, whenever my generation is in the position it is, um, I certainly hope that we are very quick and enthusiastic uh, to embrace mm-hmm. those people who are stepping forward. And I think that's a great observation. Um, two things on what you said. Um, First off, the very dynamic that you're describing in the political realm is occurring in the nonprofit arena. You know, millennials now, you know, make up more, you know, they, they, they have a greater percentage of the workforce than the baby boomers, you know, of retirement age. So now we're in a quandary where we really need to pass it torch to make sure that leaders are groomed appropriately. And one of the problems in nonprofit is we don't always do a good job of succession planning. And then mm-hmm. the second observation I have is from a political perspective. You know, I am on the late stages of baby boomers. I'm 54 years old, and I mm-hmm. feel that people in my segment of of the baby boomer generation, so to speak, I, I feel that we have not been groomed properly or given proper opportunities, you know, because people ahead of us have been in office for, I would say, at least two political generations. You know, they have served their generation and my generation, so the opportunities 
are um, scarce in my age range. So now, as I see it, the next big wave of opportunity is going to come for people who are 45 and under, you know, So and, and that should be happening within the next, I would say, two to five years, you know, given the number of people that we still have on the scene who have been serving for two generations. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I think everybody is useful. You know, I don't care, mm-hmm. you know, how young you are. I don't care how old you are. But I just really think that there's a dearth of leadership in in the political ranks in my age bracket. And and that's all I'll say because this is a non-profit. And that's one of the big things that, that I do talk about in the book um, that I, you know, I, I really, I don't care how old you are, um, whether, you know, whether you're just getting out of school or you are, um, or you're just entering retirement, that there is a call for, for new people to engage civically. And, and whether that is you join your local school council, uh, you become more involved uh, in, in the party with which you align politically, you decide to run mm-hmm. for office, but whatever that is, um, more people need to get involved. And, and it needs to be new people. And it's not, you know, and, and, and shame on me if I just sit here um, and kind of Monday morning quarterback all of those people <laughs> who already have been elected because at one point it was their first race. Um, and they, right. they took that step. And I, and I would imagine that there was some sort of higher calling or purpose uh, that first drew them to run. And I'm thankful that they did because I think that is, that is the constant and that, that crosses generational lines, whatever it is that first made you run. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, there was a family member who started something and you wanted to make sure that, uh, that you were able to get it across the goal line. Um, or mm-hmm. you have a family member who was afflicted in some way and you felt called to, to make it better, to make sure that no one else suffers in the same way. Uh, so those are all very real opportunities uh, to draw someone in. But at a certain point, once you've achieved your objective, um, does, does remaining in office, does that remain the primary goal? Um, and I think it's I think it's tricky when when people start to say I want to have a career in public office because then mm-hmm. you start to do things that might not always be in the best interest of that initial higher calling. If you are trying to uh, you know fortify yourself politically, um, you know are are you cutting deals or are you building alliances? that don't always put your constituents first or even your own values. Um, and once again, I'm not saying that every elected official who is in a position, you know, who's, who's been elected for multiple terms uh, has done these things. Um, but I think it is very important to maintain that liquidity, um, or I'm sorry, not liquidity, but that fluidity among elected officials to keep ideas 
to keep ideas moving. And there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. those elected officials who are elected and then say, okay, I first ran for this office because I wanted to generate this impact, and now I'm going to pursue a different difference that either lets me amplify the impact or is in a different area altogether. Um, but rather than just kind of staying in one place uh, and bracing for the long haul, uh, you know, I, I think it is important for people to not only keep themselves but their minds moving uh, in, in, in a way that's more than just kind of mm-hmm. survival. So those, those okay, are a number great. of things that I talk about in the book. And, uh, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's written to, to read very quickly um, and hopefully to appeal to people beyond, uh, you know, certainly beyond the millennial generation. Okay. And uh, basically, as, as we wrap up, uh, what are some of the greatest lessons that you've learned that you share in the book? I would say the biggest one is um, it, it, it's when I talk about my daughter. So my, my little girl, she's, uh, she'll be two years old later this month. And it's that, you know, no matter what happens in life, she should never be afforded uh, more or less access to opportunity based on, uh, based on an advantage that someone else didn't have. So if she's able to get into, um, into a good school, it's because, uh, you know, not that our family knew someone on the admissions board um, or was able to do something like that. It's because she had access to the same quality of teachers that she had access to, you know, to the same materials, things like that, because the world and the country and everyone else will not be well served by her if she's given more in an unfair way. You know, mm-hmm. talent, talent can live anywhere. Um, and it's, it's so important that we make sure that access to opportunity is fair, that, that those people... Um, who really are, who, you know, that they are able to meet their full potential. And I think that's, that's one, of the, one of the highest callings of an elected official is, uh, is, is to make sure that, that the talent, uh, wherever it may be, is never lost because talent can live in any neighborhood and it can be born into any circumstances uh, and everyone deserves a, a, a quality education to make sure that you can take yourself um, as far as you can. And it's absolutely not fair for, uh, for anyone to get a leg up that someone else does not have access to. So I would say that's, that's been the biggest thing, not only in this campaign, but also just um, in, in becoming a father, which has been about half of my time on the campaign trail, uh, because there are there are, mm-hmm. there are so many wonderful and talented people out there, um, and they they did not have a chance because of something that was outside of their control and outside of their parents' control or their grandparents' control or their teachers' control, and um, and we are all worse off because of that. And so that's that's something that uh, has has only become more and more clear. Uh, given the amount of time that I've spent around the county. Great. 
So we've come to the end of our show, and I'd like to thank Peter Garropy, principal with Bora, certified public accountant and candidate for Cook County Treasurer, for being a guest on the show. And Peter, would you care to share any parting thoughts and tell our listening audience how they can get involved in the work, the work of your campaign? It could be some of the work you're doing with the community. At any rate, how can they contact you and your parting thoughts? Sure. Well, Valerie, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity um, to speak with you. I mean, as, as you mentioned, uh, you know, these, these conversations go so fast, but they really are enjoyable. Um, <laughs> I would just say that the, the, the biggest thing is just please make sure you vote. Please make sure you mm-hmm. vote because, that, I mean, that, that, that's the way that, that, it, that you count. That's the way that your voice yeah. counts. And, uh, and you know what, and no matter how much money you do or don't have, you still only get one vote. So please make sure that, uh, that, that you, you know, that you don't waste yours by not casting it. So regardless of who you vote for, please make sure you vote. Um, early voting has started and March 20th is election day. So obviously that's the last day you can vote in this primary. Um, for anyone who does want to get involved, please go to our website, peterforcookcounty.com. Uh, from there, you can find our Twitter page, our Facebook page. And uh, yes, please feel free to ask me any questions through either of those social media channels. Um, it's always fun to hear from people. And just, yes, please, please make sure you vote. And no matter what happens, always stay on top of your elected officials. Remember that their salaries and their budgets are funded with your tax dollars, and don't ever let them forget that. Always keep them productively uncomfortable. So, Valerie, (laughs) thank you so much. I I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, no, thank you. I I really enjoyed our conversation. All right. Well, thank you again, and yes, please remember to vote. Okay, great. And thank you for listening to Nonprofit U Blog Radio Talk Show. The show will be available for download within about an hour. Be sure to tune in next week when our guest will be Paula Burkich. Paula is the Community Development Specialist at Microsoft. So we'll have yet another very interesting conversation. So until then, you take care. And you take care too, Peter. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Okay, bye-bye.